don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. As many of you know, I had my very first Facebook Live event this week. Facebook Live is sort of like a periscope where you can go on and record video, and I decided to do a design Q&A. And so many of you sent in awesome questions ahead of time, so I had a long list to tackle. And then while we were going, people were sending in questions, which was really exciting. But you know, the other thing that was super exciting... (laughs) well, more like anxiety producing, is that it kept crashing. So I have no idea why during this, what was supposed to be an hour broadcast and turned out to be 45 minutes, it crashed like six times. It was such a bummer. So I'm not really sure why that happened. But the result was that I had a lot of questions that went unanswered. And that's unacceptable. You guys need answers and I'm here for you. So even though I know we're supposed to have Feng Shui Part 3 lined up today, We are going to push that off, and I am going to get to those questions. This is the Facebook lightning round. I'm Betsy Helmuth. This is Big Design, Small Budget, and I am answering those unanswered questions today on my podcast, Facebook Lightning Round. So we'll get back to feng shui another week. Let's dive in. So my first question comes from Hoel. Is there a trick to hanging pictures evenly in a row vertically and horizontally? And yes, there is a trick. So in my book, I mentioned that one of my favorite tools to use is my level. And if I could go back and edit my book, I would take that part out. It was true at the time, but I have since learned that the level is useless. Practically useless. In fact, I never take it anymore. The reason that I don't use my level is because our homes aren't level, our apartments aren't level, our walls aren't level. And so even if you hang something with a level and it's perfect, it might still look wonky. So my trick for hanging things in a perfect formation is to measure from either the floor or to measure from the ceiling, wherever the picture is closest to. So if the picture is closest to the floor, measure from the floor. If the picture is above a piece of furniture, measure from the floor, because it's going to look wonky in comparison to the piece of furniture that it's closest to. So measure from the floor to the point on both sides. Now, I always hang a picture with two points, not just one in the center, even if it has a string or a wire. The reason I do with two points, especially in a formation, is so that it doesn't wiggle or wobble or get bumped and move. So two points is so important even though it's a little bit more difficult. And I measure from the floor to the first point up and from the floor to the second point up. And then I keep doing that all the way down the line. Voila! So now let's get to our next question from Shaney. How to organize baseball hats so that they can be seen? Well, thanks Shaney. So the catch with a baseball hat, get it? That wasn't planned, folks. That was just off-the-cuff punning right there. The catch with the baseball hat is that you want to see the front. You don't want to see the top or the side. So hanging it from a hook on a wall, you're going to see the top, which is pretty uninteresting. In order to catch that front view, what you're going to have to do is 
Use a shelf or a deep ledge. One of the floating shelves or a shelf with brackets would be the ideal way to display your baseball caps because that way you can see that front logo. Now, baseball caps are pretty deep, so I would recommend popping in the back so it's not quite as deep, kind of nesting it in that front part like you can. So I think that that would make more sense and take up a little bit less room on the shelf, but that would be my ideal scenario. My next question comes from an interior designer. Hi, I'm currently working with a client who's having trouble deciding what direction to go, and I feel like I'm having creative writer's block. Please tell me that this is normal. Haley. Haley, this is not normal. This is abnormal. Uh, Because the important thing to do is not to ask the client what style they like, because most of my clients don't know. Most of my clients are very intimidated by the idea of style, and they really have no clue what style resonates with them. My clients do, however, know what they like and what they don't like. So I have them fill out a questionnaire. Basically, I have created a 20-point questionnaire that are questions that really help me. So they may not be the same questions that you should be using with your clients or that another designer might use with their clients, but these are questions that really unlock a client for me because basically I have to get to know them really quickly. And then I have to be inspired by them so that when I'm choosing things for them, I'm consciously thinking about what they would like because now I feel like I have a good grasp on who they are. So some of the questions in the questionnaire are, what's your favorite place to travel? What makes your lifestyle unique? Um, What colors do you like? People feel less intimidated by that question than about questions about style. And then the other thing that I think is really important is I think it's really important that they go see images. So I lead them to a few different websites so that way they can check out pictures of other people's work and maybe see what resonates with them. See if there's one image in particular that they keep coming back to and then they can send me that image. Because my clients will visually know if they respond to a picture. They just don't know exactly what to call that picture. So that's how I do it and I don't start a project until I have all this background information. That way I'm really leaping from a point of inspiration and knowledge right away. So. Find what works for you as an interior designer, get that questionnaire, get that image requirement, and then go from there and you'll find that it will be a bottomless well. In other words, when I am feeling creative writer's block, as you say, I will go back to those pictures or I will go back to that questionnaire and I'll just delve a little bit deeper. I'll look a little bit more closely or I'll write them and just ask one more question that may unlock what I'm stuck on. So there we go, Haley. I hope that helped. Keep us posted. My next question comes from Jacqueline. Jacqueline writes, Hi, would love your thought on awkward corners. I have a very small awkward corner with a window in a long, narrow, railroad-style condo. Anything outside of a bookshelf or a reading nook? Hmm. Awkward corners are amazing places for big, fun plants. But if you don't have a green thumb, I certainly don't have a green thumb, here's a couple other ideas for you. I don't know if you have a cat, but it could be a nice place for an interesting cat tree. There are lots of people on Etsy who make custom cat trees. That could be fun. Uh, And then you could really have it tailor-made to that corner. My other thought would be that you could 
You could do a pedestal. So you could put a pedestal up there, which is very in vogue right now if you've listened to my trend episode 2016. So you could do a pedestal within a picture on a picture frame, or you could do a smaller plant that would be easier to keep alive. So yeah, pedestal, cat tree, big plant. It could be a nice place for maybe some floating shelves with some decorative items. Um, They also have wall-mounted bookcases that look like little tiny spines that just attach to a wall. So that could be a fun place for a floating bookcase that really doesn't take up much space. Hmm, what else? I love a little sculpture. Who doesn't love a sculpture? Like a wall-hanging sculpture or even, oh my goodness, guys. Hello, this just occurred to me. A mobile. Since when have we seen mobiles? But I think we could Google and find something quite interesting. So a little mobile hanging in the corner that could maybe come down kind of low and be sculpturally, visually interesting, dynamic, unexpected. I love it. Maybe even affordable. Hmm. Anyway, I hope that's inspired you, Jacqueline. Let's move on to Jonathan's question. Jonathan writes, I love red, but how do I use red without it being overwhelming? Red is overwhelming. It's the color of passion. It's the color of intensity. But that often means that it can feel too intense. It can be anxiety-provoking. It can be uncomfortable to the eye. So typically, I use it in small doses. Typically, I use it, you know, if you remember back to the 60-30-10 scenario in terms of the color palette choices, um, you probably remember from previous episodes, or if you don't have my book, run, don't walk, Jonathan, buy that book. You can get it on affordableinteriordesign.com. I will sign it for you and I will put a sticky note on the red section. But anyway, it's an intense color. If you're going to use it as your color palette with your 60-30-10 equation, I would make it a 30 or 10% color. It is not a 60% color in a room. It's just too much. Um, And you might want to go for a more subtle version of red. So rather than doing a cherry red, which can certainly be visually off-putting, you might want to do a burgundy. So maybe go less primary and a little bit deeper with a maroon idea. So that would be my recommendation for using red, even though I must admit It's not one of my favorite colors. I've never used it in one of my spaces before. When I moved into my current house, it has stained glass with a lot of red. So I decided to embrace it. And it's my 30% color in my 60-30-10 scenario. And I absolutely love it. It is super warm, very cozy. It's a deep enough color that it camouflages a lot of stains. Red is my new thing. So there we are, Jonathan. All right, let's move on to Kim. Oh, there we go. She's back to the three-color rule. So the 60-30-10. She writes, Hi, Betsy. I'm a new listener and avid fan. I've been telling all my friends about you. Thanks, Kim, for spreading the word. I really appreciate it. And do rate and review us on iTunes because we could use a little iTunes love. Anyway, back to the email. Between your podcast and book, I'm learning all the design secrets I've always wanted to know. My question is about your three-color rule and open floor plans. My family just bought our first home and the kitchen, dining, living, and family rooms are all open to each other. Should I use the same inspiration piece and three colors for all four rooms? If so, how do I do that without it feeling boring or like the rooms blend into each other? Thank you so much, Kim. So yes, Kim, yes, you do use the same color palette. You do start with one inspiration piece. Let me tell you how to do it. 
A lot of us have open concept floor plans where we can clearly see one room from the other. And in that case, they do need to share a cohesive color palette because if your family room is teal, purple, and yellow, and your living room is red, orange, and green, it is going to look like a Crayola box exploded. It is not going to look like a gracious, cohesive first floor in a home or even area in an apartment. So let me show you how you mix it up a little bit so that it doesn't just feel so blech. You're going to pick that one inspiration piece and you're going to put it in the room that gets the most action. Let's just say that's the family room, the room you really want a lot of people in to have a good time and to make the best impression. Okay, so you've used the big painting that has all the colors that you're going to be using throughout the space in it. Now that we have our inspiration piece that has at least three colors or more and will create the color palette for the entire space, we're going to choose only three of those colors. So select three colors from that painting that you would like to use. I'm just going to use my home as an example. In my home, I have red, yellow, and then my third color is green. So red, yellow, green, right? So I'm going to pull those three colors from the painting and I'm going to sprinkle them around the room in the family room. Let's just say in the family room I did 60% yellow, I did 30% red, and I did 10% green, which may be exactly what I have done if you want just a little FYI. So then I'm going to switch it up in the dining room. And the way I'm going to switch it up in the dining room is I'm going to switch the 60 and the 30. So now I'm going to do 60% red in the dining room, 30% yellow, and 10% green again. Let's say I want to switch it for the living room. Then I'm going to make the green my 60%, the yellow my 30%, and the red my 10%. So it's just about switching those percentages so that way each room feels different, but at the same time, all the rooms look cohesive. So I hope that helped, Kim. Keep listening and keep writing in. Oh, and keep telling all your friends. Thank you. So now my question is from Catherine. Catherine writes, how do you decide what wall to put wallpaper on? All right, Catherine. Haven't you seen my special with Hoda and Kathy Lee, my little spotlight on the Today Show where I say that accent walls look more like, what is it, guys? That's right, accident walls. I really hate it when people just wallpaper one wall or when people just paint one wall. It looks like you just ran out of paint or forgot to order enough wallpaper. It looks like you wanted to go bold and make a really big splash, but you were scared. So then you just copped out and did one wall. Now, as some of you may remember, there's only two circumstances in which I will allow an accent wall. The first is if you're a renter, because I understand that when you move out, you don't want to have to repaint every wall, but living with renters white exclusively is really oppressive and boring. So, okay, there's that. The other time I will allow an accent wall is if it's a very modern building. So in other words, a building that does not have a lot of crown molding, does not have ornate baseboards, does not have decorative trim, anything that's pre-war before the 1945 era, you may not do an accent wall. It's just not intrinsic to the architecture or the era. Accent walls are much more modern, so if you do have a converted loft in Williamsburg, if you are dealing with a mid-century space in, I don't know, the Hudson Valley, there are so many beautiful mid-century homes out here for sale. I find myself drooling. I live in a beautiful craftsman. I certainly have nothing to 
to want for, and yet, oh my goodness, mid-century modern homes just have my heart. Let's keep going. If you live in one of those, you can do an accent wall. And I will add that just last week, I recommended three wallpaper accent walls to a client who was going to rent out for Airbnb because accent walls really translate to pictures very well. They give it a strong look that has a lot of wow factor. So those are the three instances in which I will allow an accent wall. Now, if you're looking at these walls and trying to decide which one to accent, the question to ask yourself is what do I want people looking at? Another word for accent wall is sometimes focal, focal wall. So what do you want people to focus on? Usually it's the bed, it's the sofa, So think about painting the wall or wallpapering the wall behind those larger wow factor items. I do not put an accent wall behind a TV. I don't really want to add more focus to the TV. I don't put an accent wall behind a storage piece. I don't typically put an accent wall behind a lot of tall furniture because it just doesn't make sense. Like the other day, I had a client who had bunk beds and I wasn't going to put her accent wall behind the bunk beds because you really wouldn't see that much accent. The bunk beds would pretty much be camouflaging the whole effect. So that is my recommendation if you must, if you must do an accent wall. Now let's get to a last question from Karen. Karen writes, Betsy, is it okay to put two coffee tables in a living room if the one you have is too small? No, that's not okay. That's weird. (laughs) Karen, that's just weird. So why do you want two coffee tables? Let's, Let's get to the root of this problem. Is it because your current coffee table is too small? If your current coffee table is smaller than 18 by 36 rectangular, or 36 diameter round, or 36 by 36 square. If it's smaller than any of those sizes, then you have a very tiny coffee table. Now, if it is one of those sizes or above, you have a standard coffee table and you should be able to deal. I don't know what the problem is. Now, instead of getting multiple coffee tables, what you want to do is you want to add accent tables. So why don't you get a side table? Or instead of just a simple side table, you could get a set of nesting tables. Nesting tables are tables that group together, so day to day they only take up the floor space of one table. Yet you can pull out the smaller tables when you're entertaining, so that way everyone can have a surface. I love nesting tables. I own nesting tables, and they are amazing. Whenever I have people over, I just pull Pull out the little tables and everybody has a place for their cocktail. Wonderful. So that would be my recommendation and I hope that helps. Guys, this podcasting thing is even more fun than I thought it would be. You are spreading the word and our listenership is growing every week. I really, really appreciate that. It makes it even more fun when I know my message is getting to a lot of people and ideally helping a lot of people. Keep writing in with your questions. I love to answer them. And keep reviewing us and rating us on iTunes. Believe it or not, it makes a big difference for a small little podcast like ours. Are you itching for even more amazing design tips? Can't wait till next week, till my next episode drops? Well, you don't have to. I teach online classes. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com. I have three classes to choose from. One, Big Design Small Budget, which focuses on furniture and placement and retail resources. The second is Styling Your Space, focusing on accessorizing, choosing your color palette, patterns, artwork, paint, and more. 
And the third one is feng shui, all my favorite tips mushed into one amazing class. Each class is about 30 to 45 minutes. They're each $40. And if you want the trio of three classes plus my signed book, you can get that for $90. And I'm offering a special. So if you use the promo code podcast, you'll get 15% off your entire order. And the links that you get to the classes are good for six months. So you can watch the classes over and over and over again. So thank you so much for listening, guys. It's been a pleasure. And if anybody knows why Facebook kept crashing, let me know. Because it's a mystery and I was hoping to make it a regular thing. But I mean the crashing thing. Ugh. So let me know. Write me at Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com if you have any clues. And in the meanwhile, keep listening. Keep writing in. Thanks to my amazing producer Catherine Haller at thepodcastshop.com. Also thanks to Aton and the Embassy, our house band, and finally to our sponsor, Affordable Interior Design. Thanks guys for listening. Until Mark Zuckerberg and I can figure out old Facebook Live, I'll just keep to the podcast airwaves. Talk to you soon. Bye. Walking the streets like a dog. It's